0: Every week you'll hear me, when I'm preaching anyway, you'll hear me say how important context is, right? If you want to understand Scripture, you need to consider the context of the passage that you're going to be looking at. And today is no different. In fact, I would say today it is essential. If you expect to understand this particular parable at all, you first must consider context. And with that in mind, um, I would point you to Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 3. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it for you, but I want you to read it. Verses three through five in particular, but listen to my paraphrase as you're reading it, okay? So basically what we've got here is we've got Jesus sitting down with his disciples, his followers, um, and he says this to them. And by the way, as... I'm presuming you are a follower of Christ as well, which means he's saying this to you too. He says to them, pay attention, because what I'm about to say to you is meant, is all about you. He said, if you see a brother or a sister, if you see a brother sin," rebuke them. I'm going to stop right there for just a second just to take a little bit of a tangent, but I promise I'll come back to my point. Um, You don't get saved because you come to church, but you live out your salvation in the church. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about community, the community of believers. We need each other to live out our salvation. Because if you don't want to know what I know about you, that is also true about me, is that we are really good at doing emotional, mental, and theological gymnastics. We can justify our sin very easily. Therefore, it is, it is incumbent upon us to live our lives within community, with, within uh, relationships with people that love us enough to say, you're sin you're sinning you need to stop i need you to do that for me evan i need to do that for you right we need each other because if we don't have each other we will go drive off into the ditch just like that that is our nature we need each other so when jesus was saying to his disciples which you are one if you've accepted him as lord and savior if you're a follower when he said when he says when you see a brother or a sister sin rebuke them that means hold them accountable That is your responsibility to me and mine to you. Love each other enough to do that. To do it and to receive it, okay? So he's saying to his followers, when you see a brother or sister sin, rebuke them. Hold them accountable. Love them enough to hold them accountable. And then he goes on to say this. He says, if by chance that brother or sister sins against you forgive them. That sounds good, right? But he doesn't stop there. He says, if they sin against you, forgive them. And then if they sin against you again and repent, forgive them. And then if they do it again, forgive them. And if they do it again and repent, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. them." Seven times, right? By the way, the implication there is not seven times. It is, you keep forgiving them. In another place in Scripture, He says you forgive 70 times seven. His point is, forgive. Now, His disciples, His followers, upon hearing this, are thinking, this is nuts. Maybe once I can forgive Ev if he sins against me and, and Um, he repents. I said, well, of course, brother, I forgive you. But if he comes back and sins against me and then repents time and time and time and time and time again, that's crazy. You're asking too much of me, Jesus, to forgive like that. Therefore, look at verse 5. Therefore, in verse 5, knowing that they didn't have the faith to do what he was suggesting, what he was telling, what he was commanding, it wasn't a suggestion, he was commanding. Knowing that they didn't have the faith to do what he was commanding them to do, they said, Lord, increase our faith. Because what you're doing is beyond my capacity, and the only way I'll ever be able to do what you're suggesting is through supernatural intervention. Okay, that is the context. And if you hadn't heard that part of the story, you would not even begin to understand this story. Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 7. Let's read it together. Read it in your Bibles, and I'm going to read it off the screen here. This is Jesus, remember, speaking to his followers. He says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. No. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, and remember to dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and only afterward will you eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? It's a... uh, uh Rhetorical question. You think, of course, you don't thank your your servants for doing what is their job. So you also, verse 10. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now... um, This is uh, another in a long line of parables that have made me feel uncomfortable these last few weeks in particular. I don't know about you. Um, This one makes me feel uncomfortable because it's an analogy. He's using an analogy that um, kind of hits with the historical sin of of Americans, the, the sin of slavery. We don't want to think about that. That's what, when the whole master-servant, slave-servant thing makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I just don't. We Christians in the 21st century in America generally aren't going to relate to that analogy. But people in the Middle East 2,000 years ago would have related to that analogy. And they wouldn't have been offended by it like, like I am. It was, that's just the culture in which we live. So what I'm going to say to you right now is don't get lost in the analogy. Don't miss the point because you can't relate to the analogy or because it's offensive to you, okay? Instead, remember the context that we talked about earlier and then ask the question, What's the point? What what point is he trying to make to me? And the point is very simple, actually. He's trying to say to his followers, not just his disciples 2,000 years ago, but his disciples today, presumably you. He's trying to say to us, forgiveness ought to be who you are. Stop thinking that I'm asking too much out of you. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been birthed from the womb of forgiveness. It should be your nature. But therein lies the problem, right? The problem is, forgiveness isn't a part of our nature. Most of us. Most of us are offended if we were honest that Jesus would even ask us to forgive. In, in the depth of our souls, what we say, what we're thinking, we don't want anybody else to think, but what we're thinking is, Lord, that person hurt me and I have a right to feel what I'm feeling. I have a right to decide whether I'm going to forgive that person or not. I'm the one that's going to make the decision whether or not I will, they deserve my forgiveness. Feel that for a minute. Because that is the truth. For most of us, not everybody, but the vast majority of us, what I just described is the truth. I'm the one that gets to decide because it's my hurt. I'm the one that was sinned against. Therefore, I get to decide who deserves my forgiveness and who doesn't. That's where it gets kind of sticky though. Because if that's, if that's our logic, and it is for m- most of us, if that's our logic, then doesn't it also mean that if we sin against God, He has to decide whether we deserve forgiveness. Right? Let me let you in on a little secret. You don't. Remember earlier when Jesus kind of started the chapter and He said, listen up, followers. This is about you. And then He followed up with that, that strange... Saying when he said, if someone comes and sins against you and repents, you need to forgive them. And then if they do it again, you need to forgive them. And then if they do it again, you need to forgive them. And then if they do it again, you need to forgive them. You know who he was talking about? He was talking about you. You're the one who has sinned against God time and time and time. And time and time again. Oh, and yes, I have no doubt that you have you have, um, with integrity asked come back to Him time and time again and repented of your sin. If anybody deserves to hold a grudge, it's God. But you know what? He chooses not to. And what he was saying, what he is saying to his disciples, to his followers, you and disciples all throughout the centuries, is that, folks, you've got to learn to divorce forgiveness from the concept of does that person deserve forgiveness? Those things do not go together. Forgiveness is an act of grace. It should be an act of grace, but it's not. He's saying forgiveness is, and you know what grace is? Grace is a free gift. It is You don't deserve it, you you just receive it. Forgiveness is an act of grace. If you insist on only offering forgiveness if the other person deserves it, It will destroy you. Therefore, Jesus was saying to his people, This is your nature. This is your new nature. This is you. If you choose it to be. Because actually, though forgiveness is an act of grace, it's also a choice. You can say, you can choose. Not to forgive, but understand that if you choose to not forgive, you're choosing bondage. Here's something else I know. You know, I mentioned earlier that this whole thing was providential, and the only thing I really knew who it was going to speak to is I don't. The only thing I know is that this it was providential for sure that God wanted this um, parable taught on the day that. Alicia shared her testimony. What I know is that there are some people here today who are in prison. I know that you are imprisoned. By unforgiveness. You are imprisoned by anger and bitterness. And some of you are offended that God or I would suggest to you that you need to, you need to forgive. You only need to forgive if you want to be set free. Did you hear her testimony? Did you hear her say that, that she woke up that day and she was free? Well, it's quite possible that this is your day to be set free. But the only way you will be set free from anger and bitterness, that you're taking out on people that don't deserve it, that you're taking out on yourself the only way you can be set free is to do this you must forgive but there's you even got to go back before that because you, you've been you know that you need to forgive but you're like the disciples right you're like the disciples saying lord i know that I would feel better. It would be better if I if I could forgive, but I just don't even know how to do it. It's this prison has become so familiar to me. I don't even know how to let go of it. Well, let me show you. You begin by first confessing that you are a sinner and that you need to be forgiven. and then you repent, you you turn from your sin. You turn away from it, and you turn to Jesus, and, and then you kneel in your heart, or literally, and you confess Him as Lord. That is the beginning of being set free. If you try to take a shortcut... It won't work. You've got to do that. You must confess, repent, and submit. Only then can the forgiveness of Jesus come to you and set you free and then allow you to be set free from all the stuff that you've been holding against others. If you're ready to be set free today, Right over there is our prayer room. And it would be um, our privilege to to pray with you. Um, if there's something else going on in your life that you need prayer for, um, it would be our privilege to pray for those things too. But just know that today you can be set free. I'll meet you right over there.
1: My words fall short I've got nothing new How could I express All my gratitude I could sing these songs As I often do Every song must end, and you never did. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, because all that I have is a heart. for heart singing Hallelujah Hallelujah I've got one response I've got just one move With my arms stretched wide, I will worship you, so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, cause all that I have is a heart. except for a heart singing hallelujah hallelujah he wants to hear you this morning so lift your voices oh come on my soul
2: First of all, I just want to say thank you to Alicia Chemlin. Uh, It's not easy to come up here and be vulnerable in front of people, and you took a step of faith, and you shared a powerful testimony with us. When I was thinking about Pastor Craig's message, uh, a couple things came to mind. The first one is that there are no long-term relationships without forgiveness in our friendships, in our families, in our marriages, in the church. There's no long-term relationships without forgiveness, and so we all need to have hearts of forgiveness for each other. The second thing is that we forgive because we have been forgiven. The reason we can forgive others is because God forgave us in Christ, and he continues to forgive us every day, even for things that we don't even acknowledge. And so let's go go out of here with those truths in mind. Let's pray. Lord thank you so much for Pastor Craig's reminder about forgiveness this morning. And ultimately, we thank you for forgiving our sins and not counting them against us. Jesus, we thank you for coming from heaven to earth to die for us, not because of your sin, for you never sinned, but because of our sin. And every time that we are tempted to not forgive, Lord, help us to remember all that you have forgiven us. Ultimately, so that we can be bright and burning lights for Jesus to those around us. As we all go out of here and, and, and go out into this week, Lord, I just pray your blessing on everyone here and everyone listening. And I pray, Lord, that we would point others to the hope that we have in Jesus this week. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. You are loved.